This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Jennifer Gotti. I played Bayel on Star Trek Next Generation, and you're listening to Earl Grey on Trek FM. Welcome listeners to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host, Amy Nelson. Richard is away this week, but fear not, I have the one and only Justin Ozer. Justin, how are you doing today? Doing great. Yeah, I don't want to leave you on your own this week, so I'm doing good. As we record this, it is the week before the finale of Star Trek Discovery Season 2 and also the week before the Picard series starts filming, so exciting stuff coming up. I know. I'm really <laughs> looking forward to this Picard series, and to know that they are starting filming this month is just its so exciting, so exciting. It's, it's super exciting, yeah. I want to get just a little bit more news. You know, we only know two of the actors. I want more. Yeah, I mean, we'll get more. I think they've been waiting for Discovery to finish and for it to start filming and... Don't worry, we'll 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 get some more. Soon. Yeah, that that does make sense to let Discovery, you know, have it stay in the sun, and then yeah. we'll start talking Picard. Um, just real quick, because you are coming to STLV, do you think that we're going to get some information there? Absolutely. So by the time that STLV happens in August, they'll have been filming for over three months. So I think we will see Patrick Stewart there, and I think there will be at least a little teaser trailer. Awesome. I really do. If there's not, I will be very I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, listeners, we have some feedback. You guys are so great to leave comments. And this is from our episode, The Science in TNG Part 1. And that was with our, our good friend, Joe Keegan. And that was Earl Grey number 269. So, Justin, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so Chris Trebuzio says, okay, just finished listening. It's so amazing that it's not just technology that we see in Trek transcending and adapting in today's reality from cell phones to iPads to Bluetooth, but science as well from medical devices and procedures to the science used in space stations. If we are many years from achieving a utopian future politically, these inventions, innovations, and discoveries are bringing us closer in the science field. And, um... Just after Joe Keegan's appearance on Postcards, I did indeed send him an email, and yes, listeners, he does respond. Also, hashtag still listening. My favorite science has got to be social science, only because I live in a city that sees a plethora of diverse cultures, and it always interests me as I learn more about the many which I come across on a daily basis at my job working in travel and tourism. 
So thank you, Chris, for your multi-part comment. <laughs> so we're glad you enjoyed uh, Science and TNG Part 1 with Joe Keegan. And great that you sent him an email and you got a response. And that you're still listening at the end, which listeners, you should listen past where we do the previously on Trek FM because we have some fun bonus content usually. So thanks for answering that as well. Yeah, we do have fun at that closing. We don't just have <laughs> some recorded. We do it live each and every week. And Chris, great point outs. And I, I think you're right. Like getting this utopian society is not just political. It's with the science inventions as well. So yes, thank you for your comment, Chris. Well, we have Tim Robertson and he says, science, exclamation point. Great job, Joe. Really enjoyed it. More science, all in caps. Well, Tim, <laughs> thank you for your comment. And yes, we know that you love science. Tim uh, is a good friend of ours working over uh, with NASA and the satellites and launching things. And he's amazing. So thank you for listening to our science. Yeah, thank you for the excitement, all in caps. Not, not the whole thing was in caps, but a couple words, which is great. <laughs> so Stefan Ringlein says, I enjoyed this cup of Earl Grey. It's always interesting to look at the science in Star Trek and connect it to our own time, where we have indeed advanced in some areas and still are at the beginning in others. My favorite science topic is Einstein's theory of relativity. The warp drive, which is already a part of real science today thanks to Alcubierre, and the question of what might different forms of life look like out there. What exactly defines what it means to be alive? Looking forward to the next parts. Well, thank you, Stefan. And yeah, you've gotten into some of my favorite things as well. I think I mentioned in the bonus part of that episode that probably my favorite science is quantum mechanics, but I love the theory of relativity, the special and general theories, thinking about warp drive and how it's possible. So definitely share that and glad you uh, enjoyed the episode. Yes, and we have Joey Slowinski says, Hey guys. Hey Joey. So glad to hear people discussing the science in Star Trek. As a science teacher, biologist, it makes my heart go pitter-patter. Just wanted to address one of the episode episodes that you guys did, which happens to be one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek, Unnatural Selection. In this episode, we find that these genetically enhanced, quote, children are producing some sort of antibody that not only seeks out and destroys the Thalusian flu, but also causes rapid premature aging in normal humans. There are several things that contribute to aging. One is the shrinking of telomeres, which are DNA sequences at the ends of our chromosomes, which get shorter the more the, that cells divide, and with the buildup of oxidants, which damage DNA and other molecules. My thoughts always were that either the antibody was destroying telomeres in the cells making them older, or that it was acting as an oxidant damaging the DNA in the same way that causes the appearance and effects of aging. Either way, the solution of using a DNA sample from beforehand to adjust the transporter seems to hold up when, in theory, if you fix the genetic damage, then you fix the aging. Wow, sorry for going on so long, but biology just gets me going, lol. I'd love a whole series explaining more of the science. I think a lot of people have the impression that Star Trek is 10% reality and 90% made-up stuff when really it's more the other way around. Great job. Well, Joey, uh, that was a bit difficult for me to read. <laughs> sorry, listeners, but thank you so much. 
uh, for explaining that DNA sequence and the two, you know, possibilities that maybe they have and that the uh, transporter is a viable solution. Yeah, thank you, Joey. I mean, it was very enlightening. It's like we got a little biology class since you're a science teacher. So thank you. All in the comments. We didn't even have to go to school for that. Teachers <laughs> unite. <laughs> right. I, I'm surrounded by teachers. <laughs> Not that that's a bad thing, but I just feel like, what am I contributing to society? But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we thankfully have some iTunes review. So Justin, why don't you uh, share with us? We do have an iTunes review. Yay! Yay! We don't get those every episode. So this comes from a user with the name, I think it's the Cogito, which Cogito is Latin for I think. I think it's Descartes, I think therefore I am is Cogito Ergo Sum. Maybe that's where they got it from. So anyway, <laughs> this person says, uh, glad to leave a review for this excellently produced podcast. I listen to a wide variety of podcasts, and Earl Grey stays on my playlist consistently due to its wide variety of subject matter and refreshing angles on well-known stories and characters from TNG. I feel like all perspectives are welcome, and we can all appreciate making fun of Wesley together. Or at least Richard can. Anyway, <laughs> so episodes 229, The Wounded, and 258, Angelico, are particular recent standouts for me. Thanks, Justin, Amy, and Richard. And that's a five-star review on iTunes. So thank you. We really appreciate that and glad that you enjoy it. And you can even call out episodes, some of which are from a year ago, that you really enjoyed. So appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. We love getting the feedback. And it's it's good that we're doing things right. It, it keeps us motivated and going each and every week. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. And of course, listeners, if you haven't dropped us a review in iTunes, please do so and we might read it on the show. Yes. Well, let's get to today's discussion. I'm very excited um, to talk about a character that I think goes a little unnoticed sometimes. So we got to share the love to Dr. Beverly Crusher. And so for today, we're going to do our badass Beverly Crusher moments. And so we each have compiled a list of our top three badass moments. We haven't shared them with each other. So hopefully we won't step on each other's toes. Dancing reference. See what I did there? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you might have a theater reference later, maybe. Oh, maybe. So uh, that's how we're going to go. All right, Justin. So why don't you tell us, how did you come about doing, gathering your list and putting it together? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, as, as listeners might know, we've done a couple of Badass Moments episodes before, one for Picard, one for Jordy, and one for Troy, which I'm sure will always be your favorite. Yes. Amy. But, but now we're going to look at Beverly Crusher. So what I actually did was I kind of, well, okay. Listeners, if you want to know what I really do sometimes, I went to the Memory Alpha article on Beverly Crusher, read, kind of skimmed through the whole thing to find the moments that I was thinking about. But it can, they have a lot of information, so that can kind of make it so that you have some choices to give. But but I was thinking of it like the others in terms of like how badass is defined, which is tough and uncompromising. So it, I think it's, for me, oftentimes it's something that maybe is a difficult choice to make, uh, something on the spur of the moment maybe something that no one else has figured out. That's kind of how I thought of it, if maybe that gives a hint towards some of the things that I chose. So do you want to hear my first one? I do. <laughs> okay, so for my first one, 
it's going to be Beverly and cause and effect. And I'm going to argue that cause and effect is a Beverly Crusher episode. Now that might be seem like a bold thing to say, but I think there's two reasons for it. The first I'll go into in a minute, which is the actual role she has in the episode. But did you know, Amy, that Beverly has more lines in cause and effect than any other character in that episode? Oh, I did not know that. I know I consider it a Beverly episode as well. Okay. Because so I was just taking a look at the the transcript. 87 lines for Beverly, 74 for Data, 68 for Picard. Wow. So it's I mean it's a good deal more be, and okay. So here's why I I chose that because you might be thinking, you know, badass moment, but like as you go through the episode because I was just kind of looking through what happens in different parts of the episode. So, you know, after the the teaser where the ship blows up, basically you go into the different parts of what's going to happen in in this time loop. And basically, the first person to realize what's going on is Beverly. And, you know, she seems to hear voices as she's about to go to sleep. She reports it to Picard. And then that's kind of it for that one. But it just kind of builds in the, in the different loops where, uh, you know, she has deja vu when Jordy comes in in the next loop, like, oh, you're experiencing dizziness. This sounds kind of familiar. Right. And then after that, you know, she hears the voices again in another loop and she sees Picard about it. And it, it kind of builds on it from there to the point where like in the poker game and in, a, in another loop, like Worf is wondering what's going on. And then Beverly actually like predicts the cards that are going to happen next. And she's predicting that Jordy's going to come into sickbay. So it's kind of, you know, building on itself in that way. And then She's able to, I think, analyze what's going on with Jordy. There's this Decion field thing, which leads them to see what's going on with that and to, uh, you know, tune the sensors to that and for Jordy to figure out they're in a, a causality loop. Um, and, and basically from there to do what in the end saves the day, which is programming the information to go forward kind of to, to data in the next loop. But it's really like Beverly, I think, throughout all of these different loops, finding things out and trying to talk to people and like push them and and just like wait a minute something real and and get them to realize something weird is happening. So it, it almost seems like to me like if she wasn't able to recognize it, that you know maybe they never would have gotten out of it. <laughs> so okay, so I knew I this was going to happen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I actually have seven. But uh, obviously, this one now is gone. Yes, I have cause and effect. That is one of my favorite episodes. And I do. I feel that Beverly is definitely badass. And I have in my notes, she's the first one to experience, to feel this deja vu, to feel like she's been doing this. And it just, to me, shows her sense that she is so aware of her surroundings and it seems like she's living in the moment. And so then to have it loop around, like she is that aware. And I'm like, man, I want to be that living in the present so that if something comes around, I'm going to be able to pick that up. And to me, I just think that's a really awesome trait that she has. It's, it's great pick. Well, so I wonder sometimes, like, why is it that she kind of pushes along the sequence of events because I think she hears the voices and then like 10 other people on the ship did, but maybe she's the only one that, you know, is sensitive enough to do that or notices it and doesn't think that she's going a little crazy and actually, you know, reports it and can do something about it. I don't know, but she's, 
I think she's just so pivotal for the episode. And, you know, I think that that uh, she's taking some some risks in <laughs> in what she's doing. And uh, yeah, so I think it's it's really great. Yeah, that that is a great first pick. All right, we're coming guns. Uh, I don't know. What is that saying? Guns a blazing. All right. So I will say my first pick and, uh, well, I guess listeners, how I came about this. I also went to, uh, the internet. I mean, I had, I had two in my mind that I wanted to hit on, um, cause they just popped out to me and one of them was cause and effect. Um, and so, but it just sort of gave me a, a list of some other Beverly episodes that I could pull from. So the, the first one that really popped out that I remember quite a bit is ethics. And this is the one, uh, where Worf, the, the barrel, we know how I love my barrels falls on Worf. And, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so he can't move his legs and we have this neural, uh, neurological specialist, uh, Dr. Toby Russell and she comes in and she's got this experimental uh, procedure that she wants to try on Worf. And what I think is so amazing about Beverly in this is, is that she is going to stand her moral ground even when everyone else is almost against her, you know? And she even says at the end of the episode to Dr. Russell, she's like, you gambled and he won. And but she's so afraid of if you're going to continue to gamble, who's going to be the losing end the next time, right? And I think that we see so many times like Picard makes the moral decision and everyone's for him. But in this episode, Beverly's sort of the only one that's saying this isn't right. You know, it hasn't been tested and she still holds her guns, even though the outcome was good. She's still worried, and as rightfully so, she should be. So I think that's a little badass that she's standing her ground and making a moral call. Yeah, and I think it it highlights something that you see quite a bit from from Beverly, which is you know standing her ground for what the moral thing is, what will save lives, what will lead to less harm. I think in the best tradition of different doctors in, in Star Trek. So yeah, it's it's a great pick. Like this one came to my mind, but I was just trying to get my head around how I would think about it. But I think that you found a, a good way. She's like standing her ground, even though like in the end, this thing happens and you could see it as like she quote unquote lost, but she feels like in the end, like she hasn't lost anything. She stood her ground and this other doctor just got lucky this time, yeah. you know? So yeah, I think that's that's definitely... A, a really good pick. And of course, she is bothered in the episode by an earlier scene when they're injured people in the cargo bay. And this Dr. Russell tries out this experimental thing and the patient dies yeah. when something else might have saved them. So that that scene always gets me like, my God, look at they just, you know, kick her off the ship or something after that. But but anyway, uh, I, but she's also trying to balance something because it's like, okay, this doesn't seem right. But at the same time, you know, Worf needs to be able to make a decision. There are other people that think it might be a good idea. So I think she does a good job of trying to to balance things in the episode and trying to, you know, just use her her best judgment. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. All right. Well, let's get to our second picks. 
Justin? Well, uh, so for my second pick, I chose Man of the People because this is the episode where this guy is like dumping his psychic garbage on Troy, right? And this link has to be broken. And it's Beverly that comes up with the idea of killing Troy, (laughs) which... Oh, my goodness. I, I I know, but but I think of it as a badass move because it's it's like she's going to take this risky thing to save Troy because it seems to be the only way to save her is to kill her. I mean, it's a big risk, but I think that, you know, it's and, and it kind of it, it made me think a little bit of a choice that I had for Troy in the badass moments where basically in Timescape where she like rips the thing off of, of Jordy as you know, it seems like he's about to die to maybe save him, you mm-hmm. know. So it made me think of that because I think sometimes when they're taking this big risk, but it seems to be the only way to actually save, and it's, of course, the weird sci-fi thing. The only way to save her life is to kill her first. But I don't know, like that that one, as I was looking through the examples, I was like, that's pretty badass to just take that risk. And I think Riker's taken it back. He's like, you're going to kill Deanna? No, don't do that. But I, I think she convinces him, like, this is this is the way we have to, to do it. So I don't know. What do you think? Wow. That was not even <laughs> on my radar. <laughs> Versus- <laughs> well, of course, it's killing I Troy. Know, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so let me put that aside. But yeah, that is very innovative. And, you know, Beverly just doing whatever she can and think of, you know, outside of the box to save her good friend, Deanna. That is really good pick. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I mean, you probably usually don't go first to the things where, you know, someone dies, but I don't know why. That just really stood out to me. I mean, and and also, I actually took some of the picks that I had that I think we've talked about in other episodes and that may be more obvious ones, and I put them in my honorable mention. So okay. maybe I'll, we'll get some surprises. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. All right. Well, my second pick... Um, is attached. And I chose it specifically, well, actually for two reasons. Um, But the first one, so this is the one where Picard and Beverly, they have this little neural thing and that connects them. And they figure out that they have to be close to each other. Otherwise, it gives them pain. Um, But they also realize that they can start hearing each other's thoughts, even when they're not speaking. And what's interesting is that they have to, they're escaping, right? In these caves and stuff. And Beverly, we find out that she is very afraid of heights. And what I think is amazing is that she is like, okay, here's this fear, but I have to get over it. I have to push through it. And she doesn't let the fear debilitate her and that she pushes through and is able to escape with Picard. And I, there are definitely some fears in my life that really do debilitate me. Uh, I just, I won't do them. And so I think that's pretty badass, but she has this fear. She knows that she has it and she is pushing through and not letting it stop her. Hmm. That's a really good pick. So let me ask this question. Like if you were in a situation like that, do you think you could get over, you know, a big fear that you'd have? You know, it would have to be something dire as my life in danger, like being captured mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. I, but man, there's, 
I will avoid some things like the plague. I mean, I just won't do it. And, you know, I'll make up some excuses. Well, I'm busy or, you know, whatever it happens to be. I just don't want to do it. So. Well, clearly podcasting is not one of those things. Well, I had to get over that fear. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, how, how did you do that? Um, well, I started, um, and I guess this is sort of how Beverly deals with it, that you you know, are doing that activity or whatever you're afraid of in the presence of people that you trust and with friends. And so because I started podcasting and with friends, then now it's now it's easier for me. I think there's a there's a really great lesson there. (laughs) (laughs) And, And actually, there was something that I thought of picking on my list that's that's kind of related. So you were talking about an attached she has to get over her fear of heights in order to to do what's necessary to escape. But it also made me think of chain of command because in part one, uh, you know, Beverly is training with Worf and, and Picard. I mean, and first of all, like she's going through this really rigorous training doesn't, so, so that, you know, if her medical training is needed when she gets there, but she has to go through all of this training. And then when they get there, she has to like go down this really tall cliff that's I think like hundreds of meters, but but she just kind of like centers herself and pushes through it because it's really important for the mission. And also, one other thing in that episode that I thought of was that you know they they come to this this uh, cave area and there's like a little door that opens and it's a trap, mm-hmm. right? And they and they get Picard and Worf is like, we have to get Picard back, and it's Beverly that's like, no, there's like five more people coming this way, we have to go. <laughs> So she actually leaves Picard and leaves with Worf because they can get back some information. So I I kind of thought about both of those things, getting over her fear in order to continue the mission, her fear of heights, and then also basically having to take the tough decision of leaving Picard behind. I thought that was kind of badass as well. It is, definitely. So there's a bonus choice. That wasn't actually my my, uh, next choice, but but it's one that I definitely thought of because I think... Like, as I was thinking about this list, I was like, oh, badass crusher moments. Like, what would that be like? Will I come up with enough? But I actually came up with a list of like 10 before I narrowed right? it down. Yeah. So. so I just wanted to comment on what you were saying there. It's like, Beverly, she's not the wharfs or, you know, the Picard. Like, she's in her medical, you know, medical bay just doing her thing. Like, the high intense active training is not her forte that we see her in but yet she is able to keep up with both of those yeah. guys absolutely yeah. and she'll she'll do what she needs to yeah. do even if it's a different mission than she usually has yeah great great yeah you snuck one in there justin i see how you're playing <laughs> I, di- I, I did but you know it's only two of us so we need to make sure that uh <laughs> <laughs> that she's well represented yes <laughs> that she's well represented yeah because normally there would be you know three for each of us but there's just two of us so. okay so that was the first reason so i'm slipping another one in also okay. in attached i love how badass she is with the relationship with Picard, because at the end they're sort of discussing like, well, and Picard is almost the one that's like, well, maybe what could be, you know, what could we be? And Beverly's the one to pull it back and it's like, yep, we're good friends. And then they go on their way. You know, she sort of just leaves them hanging. And I think that's pretty darn awesome that she's sort of the one in control 
of that relationship. And she, if she doesn't want it to go further, then it's not going to go further. And she wants to keep it friends and that's how they're going to stay at friends at this time. So that's, that's very awesome and empowering. Yeah. Because she doesn't feel like, okay, there's a little bit of pressure here. She doesn't succumb to it. She's like, maybe it's not the right time for yeah. that. So yeah, that's, de- it's definitely, I mean, the thing is, I think it it's good to know when you're comfortable with going forward with something and when you're not, right? And not feeling like you're being pressured into going forward with something. I think she's, and that's seen a good role model for that, definitely. Exactly. All right. So that was my second pick, Attached, and I snuck two in there and Justin got another one in there. All right. So let's get to your third pick. Well, I have to have, get something from the movies, right? Oh, Okay. <laughs> I do. I was just thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I mean, she doesn't necessarily get a lot to do in the movies, but uh, let's let's put in something there. And we may have talked about this before, but I just love this moment. So it's in first contact. She's in sick bay on the Enterprise E. The Borg are like pounding down the door, and she just makes this quick decision, like, okay, we're going to evacuate. We're going to send everybody, you know, into the the Jeffries tubes. And I'm going to call up the EMH, even though I hate him, <laughs> and uh, and distract the Borg. But but like I think that it's very badass that she like has this really quick decision making. Like, okay, this is exactly what I need to do. She hatches a plot like very quickly and basically you know saves a lot of lives in doing so. So I've always loved that moment. I mean, I love it for a couple of reasons. Like it's great to see Bob Picardo in a TNG movie. I mean, that's kind of awesome. But she's just thinking quickly to do what what she needs now. It's not so badass that she loses track of Lily and the Jeffries tubes, but that's a different scene. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like overall, I, I just love that. She just like thinks quickly and makes the decision that has to be made. What do you think? So Justin, this is your second pick that you are recognizing that she's thinking quickly and making these decisions, you know, just right on the cuff. Yeah. Is there something in your nature where you would like to think more quickly and act on your feet? Well, I haven't really faced any situations like having to decide whether you kill someone to bring them back to life or distracting Borgs with a hologram. But I mean, it's interesting you ask that question because sometimes when it when it's come to the most important decisions in my life, I actually make quick decisions. Oh. And sometimes when it comes to the most insignificant things in my life, like, you know, what are you going to eat or, you know, what store do you want to go for your groceries? I'll be like racked with indecision. <laughs> but like some of it's it's ironic, but some of the, the biggest ones I will make snap decisions like very quickly. So and I don't know, that's always how it's been, whether it's moving from one place to another or I mean, there is an instance where, you know, my now wife, who was my girlfriend, then we lived in different states and the spur of the moment I asked her to you know move in with me and she said yes but I hadn't thought of it until like that moment wow so sometimes like the biggest decisions in my life I like to make very quickly nice okay but there is yeah I guess there is something that I admire about that and like that Troy pick from the previous episode where she makes like a quick decision I always hope that if there were something like really important life or death that I would make that quick decision so nice very good Well, I'm glad you got the movies in there. I, too, was (laughs) thinking about the movies, and I just couldn't come up with one. You couldn't come up with anything? See, like, I I thought about it a little bit, and I was like, 
You know, in in uh, Insurrection, she has like a phaser rifle yeah. and she shoots some of the drones. That's cool. But I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, when you think about it for what she's doing in, in the movies, I didn't come up with as many. I think the one in First Contact for me is like the best for her in the movies. So I did get movie-esque because... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I always think of all good things as a movie. Oh, right. <laughs> it's just, it's that good. I love all good things. But what I love uh, in the future when they're, you know, doubting Picard and he's trying to, you know, we have to go to the Deveron system. And Beverly is the one, everyone else like, no, no, no. And Beverly's like, well, if it's one last adventure Picard wants, then that's what we're going to give him. And she just <laughs> goes for it and is like, you guys, we are here for Picard. And just her loyalty to Picard is fabulous, totally badass. And is like, guys, we're going to do this. She rallies the troop and they go on to the Devron system. I think that's pretty awesome of her. No, I think that that is pretty that is pretty great. Uh, but I mean, I think she comes to doubt her decision a little bit when they're under attack later. But uh, but yeah, I, I think that that it's great that that she's like, you know what, we're just going to go with this and give him the benefit of the doubt. It's for Picard. He's really important, even if he seems a little weird right now. You know, she's going to give him the benefit of the doubt because of that trust that they've built up. And even though they've been married and divorced in that alternate future, she's going to, you know. Exactly. She stays loyal to him. That's that's great. That's a great characteristic absolutely okay so like while you're talking about that we might as well say like if you were to have beverly crusher in the picard series is there something badass you would want her to do hmm well i think you know and and this sort of came up as i was putting together my list because i'm like sometimes she does really good at standing up to picard and you know, telling him how it is. And then other times she doesn't. And first contact is one where it just came at me. And it was Lily who was the one that, you know, went in and talked to Picard and, you know, and I just felt like Beverly just sort of gave way. So anyways, that was a random thought, (laughs) (laughs) but I was getting to the point that it's like, well, do we, are we going to think that if Beverly marries Picard, like I'm hoping that she would stand up to him more. And so if that's the case, then that would be sort of the role that it's like, she knows Picard so well that she's going to be able to, you know, point out his errors and, and, you know, just sort of say, Hey, this is how things are. Okay. And just to be clear, listeners, we don't have like any information that she would actually be on the show, but i just wanted to think about it, <laughs> like what, what she might do. Like I definitely, I mean, one of the things that I really like about All Good Things is that you get to see Beverly as a captain, being in command, in authority. I mean, there are a couple of places in TNG, but it's nice that at that point, it's like she is this authority figure, I mean, and actually holds more power than Picard in that future, right? She is the one that's that's really critical for this. And if she says no, like, I don't know what Picard will do. So I, I would like to to see that if we do see her in, in the Picard series, which is, of course, a couple decades after after Nemesis, to, to see her in some important like position of, of authority, I think would be really interesting. Yeah. 
I agree. I think it would be nice to see her, especially because of their connection and friendship. Yeah, I'd have to think there'd be at least a cameo at some point, if not in the first season, maybe later. I don't know. But let's let's see the show first. Like, uh, we'll see it soon enough. <laughs> All right. Well, those are our three picks. And I'm sure we cannot get off air without our honorable mention. So we better, Justin, give it to us. Okay. Well, I, I do have several. <laughs> and there are a few here that we've talked about in, in detail before. Remember me, it's like the entire episode is like a badass Beverly moment where she figures out what's going on, that she's in the warp bubble and all this stuff. So we've talked about that before, but that I had to mention it, even though I knew it would be on my honorable mentions because we've talked about it before. Absolutely. Like (laughs) listeners, you know, we wouldn't not mention it, but you know, there's (laughs) it. That's the one that comes to mind. Beverly episode, remember me. You know, and if there's nothing wrong with me, then there must be something wrong with the universe. Like, that's the one that everyone knows. So, you know, we like to think and pull from lists and, you know, try and get a little not so obvious. But we definitely had to mention that. Yeah, that's probably first on most listeners' minds. Yes. (laughs) Would think of this topic. What about you? Do you have honorable mentions? One that I don't know if I can really put it as badass. This is why it made it to the honorable mention. But I'm going to try and spin it, see if you agree with me. Uh, I think it's badass when you are multi-talented, that you have all these skills and abilities. And in Data's day, we get the dancing doctor and her skill at tap and jazz. and, And I could have chosen her... Uh, other episodes where she's, you know, directing a play or, you know, but I just love her dancing. I think she's so beautiful and light on her feet that to me, I prefer Beverly dancing. And so I think that's pretty badass how talented she is. Did I spin that well enough? Yeah, I, I think so. I was trying to think like Beverly's badass dancing, but yeah. I mean, she has something to teach Data, right, that he didn't know before, and Data has all this knowledge, but she has something that she can teach him that he doesn't know. Well, yeah, and that she understands that dancing, you know, is is part of your heart and that you're showing your emotions through it. And so it's not just the steps, you know. Yeah, definitely. So should I give another honorable mention? Yes. So here's an interesting one that came up. It's actually from The Best of Both Worlds. So in part one, she's part of the away mission with, I think it's Data, Worf, and Shelby on the Borg ship. And it's Beverly that has the idea to take a look at these power nodes and think that that will get their attention or or drop them out of warp, which is actually a really important part of, of the story. So even though she isn't the one that fires at them, that's Data and Worf, she comes up with this idea. And it's one of those places where she's exhibiting some like knowledge or thinking that doesn't have to do with medicine, but actually has to do with, um, you know, a, a different part of science with, you know, engineering or the deductive reasoning that she has. I just love that the writers made it Beverly that would notice that, not like Data, who you would think would be obvious. He'd be like, oh, what about those things up there? So I, I that, that's just a little moment I had to put in as an honorable mention because I'm always impressed by that. Yeah, that is. Again, and I love how sometimes they get to combine sort of, like you said, the medical with the technology. And 
you know, perfect example with the Borg. And she actually gives a technological, not technological metaphor, a medical metaphor with this because she's like, oh, maybe it'll be like, you know, a mosquito that's stinging you. Like it'll get your attention even though it's tiny. Mm -hmm. So I I like that she's kind of thinking that way. So yeah, I I like her medical metaphors. (laughs) Say that fast (laughs) three times. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, um, I have, again, I think it's important, but we don't actually get to see it, which is why it's on my honorable mention. However, in Descent Part 2, Picard trusts Crusher to captain the ship, and he orders her that if they don't return, that she needs to get the Enterprise through the transwarp conduit and return to Federation space. And... Well, she partly does it, so, right? So, yeah. So we don't really get to see this happen, but I still think it's pretty badass that Picard is going to trust her. Of course, I mean, I know everyone else is <laughs> down on the planet, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I just think that's pretty awesome. And when Beverly does take command, She's pretty good at it. And she, you know, influences and, you know, shares her experiences with Troy when Troy is going through the command training. So I think these experiences are what leads up to that. Absolutely. Well, and we've talked about Descent before and how awesome it is that she's in command. So I completely agree with that. On a different note, though, as I was, I remembered, as I was doing my research, I found out something interesting, which is that in first contact, there's a point at which Beverly is technically the first officer of the ship. Did you realize in that? In first contact, okay. <laughs> first contact, because at that point, Picard is is down on the planet. Data's been, you know, captured by the Borg, um, and then you mean Rikers on the planet? Oh, sorry. Well, Rikers on the planet, but there is a point at which I think Picard is as well. I don't know. Like I was looking through it in memory alpha and I was like, really? Was she technically the first officer then? I don't know. It's just a little side note. I'd have well, to think if about Picard's on the ship, he's obviously still captain. Picard and Riker's on the planet and Data was taken by the Borg. But then after that is Geordi, but he's also on the right. planet, right? So then maybe Beverly's next. Yeah, and, and Troy's on the planet as well. Uh, yeah. So then, yeah, she would be first officer. But but like it's weird because it's not presented that right. way. No, it's not. kind of. But anyway, <laughs> it was just one thing I, I was like, huh, I guess that's right. Huh. So but anyway, it's even cooler when she's in command. Okay. Now I'm out of honorable mentions, but do you have any more? I do have one more. And it's also something maybe that a lot of people would think about <laughs> that uh came up on my list pretty quickly. But so it's suspicions where <laughs> where there is Beverly somehow has brought all these people together for this this technology, this metaphasic shielding, and the Ferengi dies, and she's like going through this investigation. I mean, I think she's pretty badass with with kind of really like pushing forward the investigation. But then, you know, when she's I guess on on a shuttle going toward this star, and you know, Joe Brill surprises her, and she fights him off and blows a big hole in him. So I, I mean, not that that's all that it's about for being badass, but it, it was something that I thought about. Like she handles herself like pretty well there, you know, as well as anyone else could. So that that came up in my mind as well. So I think there were there were a lot of uh, choices. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up suspicions. I knew you would. 
So I didn't even put it on my list because <laughs> oh, okay. I know that you really enjoy that episode and we've talked about it before. But yeah, Beverly definitely is a a clear leader in that episode. And, you know, everyone does something against Starfleet code and she performs that autopsy. But, <laughs> you know, that's her going, sticking to her guns. And so... Yeah, I think everybody in Star Trek goes against some kind of order or regulation at some point. Exactly. So this was her badass going against. <laughs> oh, one more that I thought of. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, because I was thinking like a lot of these choices, I think, have been from like later season episodes, at least fourth or fifth for a lot of them. But uh, the the one that I that I kind of came across and thought about is the first season episode conspiracy. Oh, okay. I have another yeah. first a season. Episode. Oh, you have another okay. first. Okay. So, and, and for this one, I thought of it because it's Beverly. Who's the one who I guess manufactures this like little thing that's sticking yeah. out of Riker's neck that can, the little <laughs> that convinces everyone. Yeah. So that kind of helps to save the day. So I, anyway, I thought about that. It was pretty, pretty badass that Okay, so we're just going <laughs> to... Season one. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, symbi- symbiosis. And I just think it's so powerful. I mean, you just get from season one how much Beverly is going to go to uphold her Hippocratic Oath, right? That she is going to, you know, she has such compassion for these people that are going through withdrawals and you know, I just think that her compassion comes through in this episode and in so many other episodes where she truly cares about the patients and for the lives that could be lost or that have been lost. Yeah. And that's a really interesting example because there is this conflict between Beverly's like, the there's like this whole civilization of addicts. We need to do something about it. There's a lot of harm going on. And Picard is like, well, the prime directive tells us that we can't do that. But of course, Picard finds this kind of sneaky way to maybe do something eventually. But it makes me wonder, like, what if Beverly was in command and there was a conflict between her Hippocratic Oath and the prime directive? How would she deal with that? Ooh. I, I wonder, because I don't think that we saw that because when we see her in command in Descent, I think it's pretty straightforward, like, let's beam the people up, let's make sure not to be destroyed by the Borg. And in all good things, I think it's also like, you know, let's go through this mission. There, But that, that kind of dilemma, I think, would have been really interesting, but I don't think they ever quite explored that. Ooh, that would be interesting. <laughs> I think, just my personal opinion, that she would... She's a doctor first. So you think she would break the prime directive to save the people? I do. Yeah, could be. But yeah, that would have been really interesting, but that episode never happened. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Justin, give us your final thoughts on Dr. Beverly Crusher. Well, you know, I think as you said at the beginning, uh, Beverly doesn't get maybe quite as much to do as we would like. I I really like her as a character a lot. I mean, I know that people think of like, Who's a better doctor? Is it Crusher or Pulaski? I like both of them about equally. I think they both have like really great strengths to them. But what I what I do like, you know, about uh, Beverly Crusher's character is that I mean, not only is she like most Starfleet doctors that we see that she cares about saving lives and avoiding harm as much as possible, but when these situations come up where you need quick thinking or there's something that you need some creative way to save lives, I think she's really good at that. Um, and I think that 
that she tries her best to kind of balance that with, you know, the needs of, of the mission. And she can push herself like the training for chain of command or getting, you know, past her fears and, and attached. I mean, I think these these choices show that I think she's a great character that probably should have been used more <laughs> because I think that there's something I really like and admire about the character a lot, but she tended to get overshadowed sometimes. Yeah, I do have to agree with you. And, you know, coming up with this list is always, I just really enjoy the series that we do because we get to really focus on our character. And yeah, she's pretty darn awesome. I mean, she's a great friend to Deanna, so I got to give her props for that. Um, But, you know, right from season one, where we know that she's this passionate doctor and we get to see her stand her ground and and make moral decisions and support those who she loves. And, you know, like in cause and effect, like she's aware of her surroundings and she trusts herself, like in remember me and cause and effect, like I'm not crazy. I heard voices. I'm not crazy. The universe is crazy. You know, like she has some amazing characteristics that, yeah, unfortunately get overlooked. But I think if we look at her, As, you know, all the seasons and the movies, we get a very lovely, well-rounded picture of who Beverly is with all of her talents, you know, the directing and the acting and the tapping and the dancing. And, you know, I think she just is a very well-rounded character. She's interesting. We didn't bring up Wesley at all. I mean, she's a, a good mom. You know, we understand the writers didn't really know how to. I think we're used to not not bringing up Wesley when Richard's around. So even when he's not around, we I know <laughs> it's we're too ingrained. We're too. Richard has trained us too well. But you know, there's definitely some moments where she was a very good mom to to uh, Wesley. Oh my gosh, I forgot his name. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had to think of Eugene first. That was funny. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I just think that she is a character. And like you said, Pulaski or Crusher, why? We love them both. And so absolutely, she is a badass character. And I'm so glad to have this opportunity to focus on her and and what that she contributes to the next generation. Yeah, definitely. Well, it has been so much fun going over our favorite badass Beverly Crusher moments But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. He's like, oh, we can't be vague. And he's like, I'm not doing it. Is that vague enough for you? Yeah. That was so great. I know. Yes, Tyler's having these little quip answers, quick-witted, you know, when he's talking with uh, Giorgio, and she's like, I'm going to trust you, but if you betray my trust, I'm going to hunt you down. Literary Treks. And we have the USS Titan, and they're, they're going so far as to make modifications to people's quarters and the different living arrangements to account for various alien physiologies and all that sort of thing. Because not only do we have just a diversity of alien species, we have a diversity of people who aren't even humanoid, which I think is a really cool thing. And something, you know, you can do that in a book at the time more easily than you could on television, for sure. So I think they make really good use of the medium to present us with a crew like this. Warp 5. 
because he had a near-death experience, he's now all of a sudden upset that T'Pol won't admit her feelings for him. Right. Right. And now, look, I can understand how the near-death experience triggers that, but this... The payoff of him asking to leave should have happened three episodes from now. Yes, he should be grown up enough. Earl Grey. I mean, of course, the difference with Jordy and Data is that they're regular characters and they're in almost every episode. <laughs> so there's more of that potential for interaction and Guinan isn't in it as many. And I know it wouldn't have been as possible at the time, but I can dream about the next generation starting with Guinan being like a regular there every week. I mean, hey, you know, Quark's a bartender and he's a regular on DS9. Why not Guinan? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go back in time and change that. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show, and we might read your review just like we did today. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, Tune in, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. So, Amy, are you ready for a bonus question? All right. Okay, so here's the question. Let's set aside Beverly Crusher, who we've talked about a lot today and what we like about her. Who is your favorite doctor in Star Trek? Oh. (laughs) Okay, so... There's Bones, obviously. Uh, We have Crusher Pulaski. We have Bashir in DS9. Uh, Voyager is the EMH. And Enterprise is Phlox. Is that right? Okay. That's right. Well, we also have Discovery, too. Oh, Colbert and Pollard. Dr. Colbert and Discovery. How could I? Why did I forget that? (laughs) I do a million. Don't you do something on a show about Discovery? (laughs) Okay. So, doctors. Okay. If I'm going to exclude Next Gen, because we all know that's my favorite. So, I'm going to exclude Next Gen. I really like Phlox. On Enterprise. Okay, tell us why. Because he seems to be more the holistic type of doctor. And I think with his alien nature, he's able to bring in and know more. So I'm going with Phlox. Final answer. Justin, what about you? Yeah, I mean, that's something I was considering. I love Phlox. I think he's a great character. And what I like about him is that... Well, I mean, first of all, you know, this is an earlier time and he has, you know, all of these animals in in his sick bay and he has all of these interesting like remedies. And but what I like about him is I think he he is quite a competent doctor, but I think he has fun as well, which you don't necessarily see as much with some of the other doctors. He just like is kind of amused by seeing humans and their behavior and he just has this joy about life. That's one that I was thinking of, but... I don't know. I I have to think that it's the EMH from Voyager. That was my second choice. (laughs) Yeah. I love that character so much, like in the journey that he goes through and kind of adding to who he is and all of that. And yeah, I know he's grumpy and all of that, but man, if, if I was injured, I want him being my doctor because he has the combined medical knowledge of like all the important doctors that come before. So 
I think he would be my choice. Maybe with Flocks a close second. Yeah. Okay. So we are very similar because I was <laughs> debating, is it the EMH or Flocks? But Yeah. Well, and actually, Flocks and the EMH are my favorite characters on each of their respective series. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've tended to like the kind of alien or other kind of character like the EMHs. Discovery is an exception. Mm-hmm. But every other series... I I like the non-humans. Nice. Well, all right, there's your bonus. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey that will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. And we love getting your emails, listeners. Thank you so much. Keep them coming. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not using the EMH as a distraction to keep dangerous people away? Well, you know, I've thought about it. It might be interesting when someone comes up to the door of my house and tries to knock or ring the doorbell if I just have like the EMH pop up and say, please state the nature of the medical emergency. I think it would scare away all the people that aren't supposed to be there. Yeah. And you would crawl out through the window. Got it. I'm picturing (laughs) it now. (laughs) Well, actually, it's, it's interesting because the other day I saw that there's this new Star Trek product that they're putting out where basically you can like project different Star Trek characters. And you can even like have an effect to like beam them away or you can use it to like make it look like you're beaming away. It's kind of cool. Huh. <laughs> so anyway, it made me think of that. Maybe I could have that by my door. But it requires like having a projector to oh, outside yeah. to do it, which eh, I don't know about that. Well, when I'm not thinking about that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747 where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek currently and still tweeting out my season seven rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not finding out that you're stuck in a temporal causality loop? Oh, boy. Teaching these kids Didn't we do this episode before? Haven't we been here before? Yeah, haven't we? I'll tell you. I feel that way. It's like spring break. It's the week before spring break at the time of this recording, and it's like these kids over and over and over (laughs) again. (laughs) You get kids every year, no matter what you do. It's my own personal (laughs) temporal causality loop. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, when I'm not doing that, you can find me here on the network where I do The Edge, which is about Star Trek Discovery with Patrick Devlin. I do Postcards from The Edge, which is all about the fan response of Discovery. You can find me on the Fandom Podcast Network on Discoville that talks about both the Orville and Discovery. And I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is right here in the Babel Conference, so you can always find me there. Yeah, and speaking of postcards, when this one comes out, I will have guest hosted on the one for the season finale a couple days before, probably. Yes, so (laughs) thank you for doing that still. Oh, my my pleasure. (laughs) So if you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. 
Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. And we hope more of you will join the team and take up our challenge to become associate producers as several have recently. So again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. So let's get to thinking our amazing current associate producers. They are Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Joe Keegan, and Jim McMahon. Thank you so much for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. 20 Borger about to break through that door. We need time to get out of here. Create a diversion. Great joy and gratitude. Mm-hmm.